Satnustam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Amen And again, January 15, 2016, Sky Class from Hilo, Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 9, Text 12. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Nati Prasidati Tato Parito Aradita Suraganai Ridibada Kamai Yat sarva bhuta daya yasada labhayaiko nana janeshva vahita suridantaratma. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. My Lord, you are not very much satisfied by the worship of the demigods who arrange for your worship very pompously with various paraphernalia, but who are full of material hankerings. You are situated in everyone's heart as the supersoul just to show your causeless mercy, and you are the eternal well-wisher, but you are unavailable for the non-devotee. Purport. The demigods and the celestial heavenly planets who are appointed administrators of the material affairs are also devotees of the Lord, but at the same time they have desires for material opulence and sense gratification. The Lord is so kind that he awards them all sorts of material happiness more than they can desire. But he's not satisfied with them, because they're not pure devotees. The Lord does not want any one of his innumerable sons, the living entities, to remain in the material world of threefold miseries, to perpetually suffer the material pangs of birth, death, old age, and disease. The demigods and the heavenly planets, and many devotees on this planet also, want to remain in the material world as devotees of the Lord, and take advantage of material happiness. They do so at a risk of falling down to the lower status of existence, and this makes the Lord dissatisfied with them. Pure devotees are not desirous of any material enjoyment, nor are they averse to it. They completely dovetail their desires with the desires of the Lord and perform nothing on their personal account. Arjuna is a good example. On his own sentiment, due to family affection, Arjuna did not want to fight, but finally, after hearing Srimad Bhagavad Gita, he agreed to fight in the interests of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord is very much satisfied with pure devotees because they do not act for sense gratification, but only in terms of the Lord's desire. As Paramatma or Supersoul, he is situated in everyone's heart, always giving everyone the chance of good counsel. Thus, everyone should take the opportunity and render transcendental loving service to him, wholly and solely. The non-devotees, however, are neither like the demigods nor like the pure devotees, but are averse to the transcendental relationship with the Lord. They have revolted against the Lord and must perpetually undergo the reactions of their own activities. Bhagavad Gita 4.11 states, Although the Lord is equally kind to every living entity, the living entities, for their own part, are able to please the Lord to a greater or lesser extent. The demigods are called Sakaman devotees, or devotees with material desires in mind, while the pure devotees are called Nishkama devotees because they have no desire for their personal interests. The Sakama devotees are self-interested because they do not think of others, and therefore they are not able to satisfy the Lord perfectly. 
whereas the pure devotees take the missionary responsibility of turning non-devotees into devotees, and they are therefore able to satisfy the Lord more than the demigods. The Lord is unmindful of the non-devotees, although he is sitting within everyone's heart as well-wisher and super-soul. However, he also gives them the chance to receive his mercy through the pure devotees who are engaged in missionary activities. Sometimes the Lord himself descends from missionary activities, as he did in the form of Lord Chaitanya, but mostly he sends his bona fide representatives, and thus he shows his causeless mercy toward the non-devotees. The Lord is so satisfied with his pure devotees that he wants to give them the credit for missionary success, although he could do the work personally. This is the sign of his satisfaction with his pure Nishkama devotees compared to the Sakama devotees. By such transcendental activities, the Lord simultaneously becomes free from the charge of partiality and exhibits his pleasure with the devotees. Now a question arises, if the Lord is sitting in the hearts of non-devotees, why are they not moved to become devotees? It may be answered that the stubborn non-devotees are like the barren land or alkaline field where no agricultural activities can be successful. As part and parcel of the Lord, every individual living entity has a minute amount of independence. And by misuse of this minute independence, the non-devotees commit offense after offense to both the Lord and his pure devotees engage in missionary work. As a result of such acts, they become as barren as an alkaline field where there is no strength to produce. Nati prasiddhati tato pachito pacharar aradita saragana ridibhada kamai yat sarvabhuta dayaya shadalabhyayayayayiko nana jane shavahita suriranta My Lord, you are not very much satisfied by the worship of the demigods who arrange for your worship very pompously with various paraphernalia but who are full of material hankerings. You are situated in everyone's heart as a super-soul, just to show your causeless mercy, and you are the eternal well-wisher, but you are unavailable for the non-devotees. Hmm. Surid Antaratma. Surid, the very good friend. So why is there disparity in the world? Why do one, one person get one thing and someone else get something else? Why, even among those who worship the Lord, is there a disparity? Why do some of them attain to the eternal kingdom of God and some don't? You know, we, we tend to have a habit among the devotees that whenever anybody who's what we call a devotee, whenever they die, we just kind of say, oh, now they've gone back to be with Krishna, you know. But it depends. comes to as Prabhupada says here in this verse, in this purport. It depends on, on us. Uh, the disparity is is really due to our desires. I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to swallow, huh? That whatever we have is our own making. And so, if we want the highest thing, I mean, God, as the as the best friend, right? As an impartial best friend, Krishna doesn't force anything. He doesn't even force the best thing. You know, I mean, parents try may try to force their children to eat, but you know, you can't force somebody to eat. I mean, I suppose you can stick it, you know, do a surgery and stick a tube in their belly, <laughs> but you can't force somebody to eat otherwise. So a God, he doesn't force us. He doesn't force the living entity. 
He is the best friend, and as the best friend and impartial, he lets us have what we want. And here we have the three classes, the non-devotee, the materialistic devotee, and the pure devotee. I think we're going to focus primarily on the materialistic devotee and the pure devotee and not talk so much about the non-devotee today. There's uh, probably about 500 different things we could talk about uh, from this verse in purport. So uh, here we're going to look at specifically the difference between the materialistic devotee and the pure devotee, the sakama and the nishkama devotee, and how we can become a pure devotee, how we can attain the highest thing. Prabhupada says here the demigods or or the materialistic devotees on this planet, they want to stay in the material world and enjoy material facilities by the grace of the Lord. That's what they want. And, of course, you know, we may want that uh, without being aware of it. We may say, I I really want to be a pure devotee, but, you know, we, we read about Sudama, the florist in Mathura, where he got all sense gratification and went back to Godhead. Dhruva Maharaj, who gets all sense gratification, goes back to Godhead. The Prachetas, and we think, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> I want all sense gratification and going back to Godhead. I remember once giving a Sunday feast class, and one of the, one of the guests said that. Why can't we have both? <laughs> of course, Prophet says here in this purport, the pure devotees are not averse to material enjoyment. They're not attached to it, nor are they averse to it. But the Sankama devotees, that's what they actively want. And they're approaching the Lord more or less. There's degrees. It's not an offline switch, but they're approaching the Lord more or less for that purpose. Like Dhruva Maharaj didn't approach the Lord to serve him. He approached the Lord for vengeance and for kingdom. That was his. That was what was driving him. That was what he wanted. The gender approached the Lord to get rid of the crocodile. Again, that was what was driving him. And generally in the world, that's what's driving people to go to God. You know, I want to be happy here. Please fix it so I can be happy here. You know, Prabhupada says the householder is praying for protection of their valuables and the thief is praying for an opportunity to steal. So the Sakama devotee is kind of like the thief praying for an opportunity to steal. Please give me the facility uh, to enjoy myself with myself at the center. And why doesn't Krishna particularly like that? He gives it, but he doesn't particularly like it. And Prabhupada explains here in the purport that you have a risk of falling to the lower status of existence. You're risking it. Just like King Riga was a very pious materialist, but because of one mistake, he became a lizard. I mean, at least in theory, it's possible to just stay a demigod birth after birth after birth. If one's engaging in Krishna consciousness and amassing pious activities, there's no particular reason why one has to fall down to the earth planet. Like some people live here in Hawaii. Uh, Most people come here, spend their money, and when their money's used up, they go home. But some people live here, so it's possible. It's not a rule that you have to use up your good karma. In fact, like on Pitriloka, you try to have descendants who are going to do good karma for you so that you can stay there. But generally, even the people, even the jivas who tried to do that, you know, they're at risk. And we, we see that in our normal life. You know, I, we all try to be a good person. I try to be a good person. Uh, but there's always a risk that you're going to mess up. Right? There's a risk that you're going to harm others for your own pleasure. And whether it's a small thing, whether it's a big thing, 
whether you're a cucumber thief or a diamond thief, as, as Prabhupada likes to say, the risk is very much there. In fact, it's almost impossible not to. How are you going to not step on any ants? You know, Jed Bharat was trying not to step on any ants, but, I mean, gosh, the ants here are so tiny, you can't even see them. How, how is that possible? You know, the Jains cover their mouth with a cloth and, and so forth, but, you know... <laughs> It, it's, it's basically, it's not possible. And so there's always this risk. You know, even though you're, you have the grace of the Lord. And just like a government agents, the government agents, they have some protection because they work for the government. But there's always a risk that they may be tempted by their prestige and their money and that they may do something that's illegal. In fact, it happens pretty commonly that someone who's a government agent misuses their position. What do they say? 80% of all thefts in stores are done by the employees. So this is the risk. I have facility by the grace of the Lord, and I forget it's by the grace of the Lord. I forget to use it in his service, and I say, oh, great, I have this facility by the grace of the Lord. Let me use it for myself. You know, you're the servant in a rich person's house, but you're really there for the salary, and you may forget. You may not remember that it's not your house. And you may take something. Oh, it's just a little something. You know, I'm just taking home some pens from work. You know. <laughs> I'm just taking home some of this. I'm just you know, making photocopies for myself and, and so forth and so on. So this is very uh, common. You know? And uh, this is the problem. And this is why Krishna is not... It's, it was probably explaining here in this purport. This is why Krishna is not so happy with the Sakama devotees. I mean, we could think, oh, Krishna's not so happy because they're not just fully devoted to him. We could project something material on it. You know, like, for myself, as a demoniac, self-centered living entity, I want everyone to be fully 100% devoted to me with no personal interests. You know? And the more they're devoted to me without personal interests, the happier I am. If they have anything separate from me, I become displeased. So God must be like that. You know, we could think like that. That God is some kind of, you know, cruel dictator <laughs> who wants everybody 100% devoted to him. Some, some slave owner, you know, who doesn't give his workers any pay or any vacations. They, they have to have only his interests. And we think, well, that's, that must be what God is like. He doesn't, doesn't want anyone to have any of their own desires. But really what Krishna is thinking about here is, hey, you know, if you work independently, then you're liable to end up in a really miserable situation. And I always give the example, if you try to walk through a wall, instead of walking through the door, you're going to get hurt. It's not, it's not reality. The way reality is, is everything should be in harmony and in cooperation and balance. That's the way reality is. Reality favors harmony and balance that if somebody gets out of that cooperation. So if someone's superficially cooperating, but their real motive is different, then they're going to end up doing something different and get hurt. You know, it happens sometimes in performances. Everybody's supposed to have a coordinated, synchronized dance, but one person wants to stand out, and so they just do something differently. You know, it happens in the movies, in the theater. You know, a person just starts ad-libbing and saying what they want to say to stand out. And it may cause havoc. Right? Yeah, so, therefore, Krishna doesn't like it. He's like, why do, you, why do you want to suffer? Why do you want to do something 
that's going to cause you misery. He says, I don't want you to be miserable. So then there's the pure devotees, the nishkama devotees. And, and Srila Prabhupada gives such sweet explanation of the nishkama devotees. He says, they don't either want or, or, be, or be averse to any material enjoyment. It doesn't matter to them. You know, whether they're in a grand palace like Maharaj Yudhisthira, who wanted the Rajasuya Yagya, but I was just reading in the Gopal Champu, why did he want the Rajasuya Yagya? Because when Krishna came to visit him, he felt, I, I can't worship him nicely enough. I don't have nice enough paraphernalia. Just like this room I stay in in Hawaii is used for guests when I'm not here. And many of the things that I've bought in for the room and arranged for the room are thinking of guests. They're not even things that I necessarily need. I've gotten more storage because I don't have very many things. Um, but I've gotten storage facilities, you know, furniture that I don't need to keep my things in at all. They're basically empty. And they're here for when guests come. Right? So Maharaj Yudhisthira was thinking like that. He was thinking, I don't, I don't need this facility. You know, you have some families that have a whole guest room that they don't use. Right? I know some uh, people who built a whole guest wing of their house that they don't personally use. So Maharaj Yudhisthira was like this. He said, you know, I, I don't care about this opulence. How do we know that? Because as soon as it was no longer part of his service, he gave up everything, didn't even talk to anyone. And he was completely happy. But he thought, Krishna's coming, Krishna's com- coming to visit me. I should offer him the world. And people should see that those who worship Krishna, they don't suffer. So this is one of the characteristics of a pure devotee. Whatever is favorable to worship Krishna, if if Lord Chaitanya is happy with just banana leaf cups, then Kolovich Shridhar, he's happy being a banana leaf salesman. And if, if Krishna should be given the world, the devotee wants to do the It's And if Krishna wants him to be the emperor today and a pauper tomorrow, you know, that he's fine with that. Whatever. He wants to give me happiness, distress, whatever. Whatever pleases you, because one's happiness as a pure devotee is not coming from the external situation. It's not coming from the body and the mind. It's coming from their relationship with Krishna, which is so great and so unlimited in happiness that everything else becomes insignificant. And what I feel is the most important part of this verse, and astonishing and amazing and easy to do, is that the pure devotees, as contrasted with the impure devotees, are preachers. And this fact gives us a good clue as to how to become a pure devotee. I mean, the first one is a little tough as far as a process. Right? It, it's good as far as a symptom. Well, the pure devotee isn't attached to the externals except as far as they're used in Krishna's service. I mean, you can imitate that for a while, but it's not really a very good process. And we've, we've seen that over and over again. Devotees who say, well, I'm only going to take what I can use in service. I'm not going to take anything for myself. And maybe they can even do it for five years or ten years or maybe even 15 years. But if it's not real, and then eventually they start to say, oh, what about myself? And they may even become bitter. I've seen it many times. You know, well, I just gave everything and nobody gave to me. And, you know, what about that? And... And they become very bitter. I mean, I, I just read something from one of my godbrothers, how he and his wife had 
uh, been collecting the money to build a, a temple, a very important temple and a guest house there and just dedicated everything. And then the wife got very sick, was almost at the point of death. And they asked the temple authorities if she could stay in one of the rooms that they had helped to fund. Uh, even though there were many empty rooms, the temple management said no. Uh, even though you help pay for them, you can't stay in them. And they became very discouraged about spiritual life in general. They became very bitter. And even decades later, they still have bitterness about it. So th- that's the problem with saying that the, the difference between the Sakama devotee and the Nishkam devotee is that the Sakama devotee is trying to enjoy externally and the Nishkam devotee doesn't. But this other one about preaching is not only a symptom, but it's also a process that the Nishkam devotee wants to help others. And the Sakam devotee is only interested in themselves. So, this is sort of interesting, isn't it? Right? We're looking here at the root of the difference between material and spiritual. In material consciousness, I am the center. Everything is about me. And even if it's extended selfishness, even if it's about my family, my country, my religious organization or something, uh, it's still really about me. I'm thinking if I serve my country or my religious organization or my family or whatever, then I will also become pleased because I'm a part of it. Hmm? But it's, we're thinking in a material sense. We're thinking my body is a part of this other material conf- uh, configuration. Hmm? But ultimately, it's, it's about me. And real preaching is about others. I'm trying to help others. That's the spiritual mood. The spiritual mood is I work for the good of the whole. The ultimate others that I'm trying to help is not exactly the living entities that I'm preaching to, but the Lord himself. Because the Lord is feeling uh, unhappy, we could say. I mean, he's always happy, but he's... He's sorry, even for the Sakama devotees, when we can just imagine how he feels about the out-and-out non-devotees who are simply suffering in illusion. I mean, that, that's kind of how an ordinary person feels about, you know, drug addicts. We feel very sorry for them. We, we want to help them. We see that although they may have some illusion of happiness, that really all they're doing is suffering. They're just imagining they're happy, and in their intoxicated state, they're often committing so many violence and criminal activities, and they're losing all of their facilities. So the Lord is feeling sorry like this for the non-devotees and even for the Sakama devotees. And anyone who can help alleviate his sorrow, he feels great happiness. You know, even in ordinary life, if a child is a criminal or a drug addict and somebody cures them, then the parents become very happy. So this is the main way to make Krishna at the center. It's a very easy way to make Krishna at the center because anybody can get in this mood of helping others. Especially as Prabhupada talks about the Lord comes himself sometimes as a preacher as he did with Lord Chaitanya. It doesn't happen very often, only once in a day of Brahma. But because Lord Chaitanya came as a preacher, by following Lord Chaitanya and his missionary movement, uh, things, it becomes very easy to get out of this Sakama mood or out-and-out materialistic mood, if that's where we're at, and come to the platform of Nishkam. Now, you could say, well, Ermila, you know very well that preaching could also be very self-centered. That's true. It's possible to preach in a self-righteous, self-centered, 
egotistical, prideful way. Uh, we've certainly seen it, and you know, we've certainly experienced it ourselves. That my, I'm preaching just to defeat my enemies, you know, just like some demon in the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, I'm going to defeat my enemies. I'm going to kill them by philosophy <laughs> and show them that I have the best philosophy. And this even goes on among the devotees. You know, I have a better understanding of the Sinanta than you do, and, and you get all caught up in it and, you know, lose all thoughts about Krishna. So that's certainly possible, to be superficially preaching, to, to have, you know, sort of convince ourselves that we're really caring about helping and elevating others. And the main symptom that we're doing this in the wrong way is our inner agitation and our inner pride. I know better than you, and I'm telling you because I know better, and if you could see my point of view, then you would be happy. Uh, whereas the preaching mood is one of compassion. And it, it feels quite different. It feels quite different when you're doing it, and the results are quite different. When you preach out of a mood of compassion, you feel joy. Thinking of Krishna becomes very easy. And when you preach in a mood of pride, uh, you feel a churning and a burning inside and the result is that thinking of Krishna is very difficult. <laughs> you pick up your japa beads and all you're thinking about is, how can I do this thing to defeat my enemy and this thing to defeat my enemy? And when you're preaching in a mood of compassion, you start to enter uh, mentally and emotionally into Vrindavan. Because that is the mood of Vrindavan. The mood of Vrindavan is how to bring other people to Krishna. We talk about this a lot. Now everyone in Vrindavan, they're thinking... How can other people get, how can other living entities get Krishna? I was just hearing Prabhupada talk about this this morning in the lecture of Nectar Devotion. And Srila Prabhupada was speaking in this lecture about attaining our swarup, attaining our original spiritual form and saying how it can't be done artificially. It has to happen naturally, like the sun rising or uh, like a married woman uh, getting pregnant or, you know, or, or a child coming into adulthood. It has to happen naturally. And he was talking about that the way to ha- for it to happen naturally is to get in this mood of helping others, to get in this mood of preaching. But that is the mood of the residence of Vrindavan. How can I help others? How can I help others? That's Krishna's mood, as we are reading here. Surit. Surit Antaratma. He's staying with the self, within the self, so close to the self, doesn't leave someone even who's envious of him. And surid is very dear to the heart. And this is something we can practice. It's something even a gross materialistic person can be trained to do. Go out and preach others, help others. As Prabhupada told Jamuna, if you don't teach others how to cook, then you're simply envious. You want to know more than others. So anyone can preach also. Prabhupada taught about little three-year-old Sarasvati. Just go to people and say, do you know who Krishna is? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So when we have this mood, our own material desires will go away. And our motives for serving Krishna will become obvious to us and we will find it easy to reject them. I also find it fascinating that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati particularly particularly designated preaching as the key to Raganuga Bhakti. 
he designated the study of the Bhagavatam, the Kirtan, and the printing press as the key to Raghunuga Bhakti and Archana as being primarily in Vaidhi Bhakti. That we understand who we really are when we get in this mood of compassion. It removes our self from the center. It destroys our envy. Envy means I want to have more than anybody else. Nobody can be equal to me, what you speak of, greater than me in anything. If I see somebody advancing in Krishna consciousness, I become unhappy. Why them and not me? But preaching is, I want everyone to become as advanced as me and higher. I want everyone to be better than me. I can't please Krishna, but you can please Krishna. And Prabhupada says the the parents, the mother, is some emblem of non-envious love. Why? Because the parents, not always, of course, but the tendency of the parents, the teacher, is they want the their student, their child, to excel them. You know, the the poor manual laborer who saves up for the child to go to college. This is this is non-envious. Of course, materially it's not pure, but the principle is there. If I help, if I genuinely help others to become Krishna conscious, then my envy must go. It has to. If I dedicate my life to helping others attain spiritual life, my self-centeredness will go. I will get in the mood of the Lord himself and the mood of his dearest devotees and as I get in that mood, my own eternal identity will blossom. Because I'm, I'm starting to act in that capacity. In the beginning, not specifically, before it's awakened, I can't know, you know, my cowherd boy. Uh, but in, as a general principle, that is the mood. And anybody can do this. And as one gets more and more into preaching, then naturally the other symptom here of taking material things only for Krishna's pleasure starts to happen on its own. One starts to think, well, I need this for preaching. I need this for my service. This I don't need for my service. This I need for my service. This I don't need for my service. I was just thinking how, you know, when, when I travel, due to the mercy of the airlines, they started having a policy that they would charge money for checking in your luggage. So if you have a lot of flights, and that adds up, you know, you could easily spend a thousand, two thousand dollars a year just on checking your luggage. So as soon as they had that policy, I thought, okay, let me just travel with one small bag. And when you travel with one small bag, you really have to think, what do I need? What do I need for my service? What do I not need for my service? They're always weighing it and measuring it. And there's, you know, people give you gifts while you travel. Give you huge winter coats and boots. And someone gave me a huge glass bottle of olive oil. Another temple, they gave me a humongous framed photograph of their local deities. I mean, the frame was like three inches thick all around. And there's no way you can bring that in your one tiny little bag. So we can think like that. 
You know, what's my essentials? <laughs> if, <laughs> if I had to just, you know, go with what, what do I really need for my service? One only thinks like that when one's focused on preaching. When we're focused on ourselves, then it's so difficult to know what's really being used in Krishna's service and what's not. So therefore, this emphasis on preaching, simple, easy, can be done by any neophyte. Very easy to understand. And very broad in scope. There's so many ways to preach. You can preach by, you know, jumping up in the streets, singing the holy name. You can preach by distributing Srila Prabhupada's books. You can preach by publishing Prabhupada's books. You can preach by writing your own books and publishing them. You can preach by speaking to people about Krishna. You can preach by making paintings of Krishna. You can preach by cooking and distributing prasad offered to Krishna. You can preach by gorgeously decorating the deity and inviting people to the temple. You can preach by giving classes in the corporate world of application of Krishna conscious principles. It simply doesn't end. You can preach by doing dramas. You can preach by making CDs of music of Krishna. Whatever our talent, whatever our ability, whatever it may be, we can use that to bring people to a higher consciousness. And then we become from Sakama devotees, almost everyone starts out as a Sakama devotee, to Nishkam devotees, and start to feel my pleasure is in Krishna's pleasure, and forget about our own pleasure, not artificially which doesn't last, but naturally, organically, and, and gradually. So questions, comments? Urbala? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. There's been a lot of static on the line today, but yes, I can hear you. Okay. See, I've been in the middle of writing this question. It's a little bit hard to express. Um, I'm uh, trying to understand what you're saying. Uh, let's see. How can I understand this desiring? And not that I want to be envious of others. You know, I, I want the uh, other devotees to make wonderful spiritual advancement. But how can I desire or understand desiring others to be more advanced to me? to be able to offer a better service to Krishna, isn't it, uh, um, isn't it not that I want to be more advanced than others, but why not be equals? And, um, but I, at the same time, I also agree not hoarding what we have uh, learned or what talents we have to, um, you know, just to keep for ourselves and not sharing with others, like Jamuna, Jamuna da- Dasi, Devi Dasi, uh, you know, wanted to share what her knowledge, you know, of how to cook so nicely for Krishna, you know, and, and to hoard that, that would, that's miserly. Um, you know, and when I know recipes or come up with uh, some unique recipes, I want to share them also. I, you know, I don't, want to uh, hoard them. Um, so, I don't know if, um, you know, 
is this, uh, I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't understand. Um, uh, I, I just don't understand this. I, I hope that um, I'm clear in my uh, question. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can figure out what you're saying. Okay. Okay. So, what is envy? Envy means nobody can have something better than I have. And if, okay. if somebody has something better than what I have, then I want them to lose it. Even if I can't get it. You know, preferably oh. I get it. But if I can't get it, at least they shouldn't have it. So oh. that, that, that's basically envy. You know, if you have more money than I have, so I don't like that. I don't want anyone to have more money than I have. That's envy. And maybe yeah. I can't take your money. You know, maybe at least I'm civilized enough that I'm not going to steal your money. I'd like to. You know, a lot of the communism and socialism is about that. I, I, I would like to. I, want, I, I don't want anyone to be richer than I am. But if I can't take it, at least I want you to lose it. You notice that people love to hear about famous, rich people who have trouble. It, it's one of the main things people delight in hearing about. That, you know, these people who look like they had a happy marriage, actually they don't, they got divorced. This so-called beautiful person really just had plastic surgery. You know, this so-called moral person was secretly going to the gambling casino. And it goes on in the, in the society of devotees, too. Oh, well, th this person, they look like they're spiritually advanced, but they're secretly doing this and that. Don't you know about it? Let me tell you, let me tell you how this so-called saintly person is really a fraud. And it, it's all due to this envy. Bhaktisanta gives the example that you hear that your friend became a high court judge and you say, no, no way. He's not qualified to be a high court judge. No, really, I saw him sitting on the bench. Well, then he must not be getting paid any salary. So this is the, the basic principle of envy. I want to be higher than others. I can't tolerate that anyone is higher than me in anything. And preferably, I don't even want equality. I want to be higher. I want this profit adoration and distinction. You know, I, I want to be distinct from others. I want to be honored above others. I want to be better than others. So I don't mind if somebody's almost equal, but not quite. I, I gotta have something a little better. You know, my car has to have some feature that theirs doesn't. My computer has to have three ports, whereas their only has two. You know, it's, it, this is the basic element of envy. And so out of envy, we become hoarders. You know, we, yeah. we, we, yes. want, we don't want to share because if I share, then we'll be equals. I won't be distinct anymore. I, I won't stand out from the crowd. I won't be special. So we, we want to have something that someone else doesn't have. I want to have knowledge you don't have. I want to have talents you don't have. I want to have, you know, in spiritual life, I want to have realizations you don't have. I want to have special, amazing realizations and experiences and those, you know, lower devotees, they're not into it. <laughs> they just don't get what I get. <laughs> whatever, you know, in some, whatever sphere we're operating in, we, we want to have something that's, you know, that, that puts us above everybody else.
So the opposite of that is wanting others to be higher than me. Amanina manadena. Oh, okay. That's the exact polar opposite. Relishing being lower than everybody. Taking pleasure in everybody being higher than me. Now, in one sense, we're all equal as souls. Pandita samadarshinaha. In one sense, there is no such thing as higher or lower. It's all a bunch of nonsense. It's certainly nonsense materially because whatever we have is just a combination of electrons, protons, and neutrons. You know, it, it, it's just kind of all kind of silly. It's just a dream. It's like, you know, you're watching a better movie than I'm watching or something. You know, you're having a nicer dream than I'm having. And, it, and none of it has any meaning. Your sandcastle is bigger than mine. I, I, you know, it, 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 there's no meaning to it at all. It's all a hallucination. And spiritually, we're all completely equal. There's not really any difference between... No soul is greater than another soul. It's not really that the flower in Krishna's hand is lesser than the gopi who gave Krishna the flower. It's, it's not like that. There's not some kind of, of material hierarchy. You know, as I've said before, the spiritual world is not... It's not a bureaucracy. Where, you know... It's not like Radharani's the queen of Vrindavan and everyone else is just kind of a pleb. And, you know, like Prabhupada says, Krishna's hugging the calf and he's hugging Radharani and he loves them equally. So this is the reality. At the same time, the devotees always feel everyone else is a better devotee than I am. Everyone else is pleasing Krishna better. Than, and that's their happiness. They feel inspired. Oh, maybe someday I can please Krishna that much. Yes. You know, maybe, oh, I'm going to touch Krishna first today. But they're happy when they see that Krishna is pleased by another devotee, and they're pushing the other devotees forward to please Krishna. Now, if everybody is, just, just try to imagine, if one is in a society where everybody is always respecting everybody genuinely, as being better than themselves. And everybody is always pushing forward everybody to do service. And everybody is always pushing forward everybody to get honored. Everybody would be fully satisfied. You know, there's that um, analogy of the difference between heaven and hell. You know, that all these people are sitting at a table and everyone has a very long spoon. And hell is that everyone's trying to feed themselves and heaven is that everyone's trying to feed others. And, you know, there's, there's, there's some, something like that. So envy is a, a world, a universe, where every living entity is trying to be the best and taking from others. Or at least being happy when others lose what they have. And spirituality is everyone is always giving to others. Yeah. So that's, the, that's the main difference. And preaching is the mood of giving to others. And not just giving to others, but giving to others the best thing. Giving to others that which will be best for that entity. And will, will fully establish that entity in their own glory with access to the, the connection to the unlimited opulence of the Lord. Now, if everybody has access to the unlimited opulence of the Lord, there's not one unlimited bigger than another unlimited. But that's the mood of preaching. The mood of preaching is 
is I'm happy when this person gains more spiritual realization than I have. If this person becomes a better cook than I am, even. And as we get into that mood, our own envy must decrease. It has to, because it's a polar opposite. One can't be a genuine preacher. One could be a false preacher. You know, we can pervert anything. You can chant the Hare Krishna mantra as, you know, as a way to maintain your family, or you could, you know, give concerts in the Hare Krishna mantra and spend them at the gambling casino. You know, you can pervert anything. And you can use almost anything, at least in Krishna's service. But still on principle, that if one really tries to be a genuine preacher, one's envy and self-centeredness have to dissolve. Otherwise, it's, it, it's contradictory. It, it can't, you, can't, you can't sustain a dedication to real compassionate preaching without decreasing self-centeredness and envy. It, it, you just can't. Does that make sense? I can't, genu- yeah, I can't genuinely care about giving you everything I have and genuinely want to have more than you. It just, I just can't do it. Right. Well, thank you so, so much. This Hi, Krishna. really helps. This really puts um, some things up in my mind. Um, yes, okay. Thank you. Oh, how do we deal with the reality of of envy that's in our hearts? For a second. Actually, Harsh Prabhu had a question in the chat. Oh, okay. Well, let me look at that. And my answer to Harsh's question about um, the Abrahamic religions, is why did they ne- neglect deity worship and focus on preaching? Well, they didn't really. If you go back, the original Abrahamic religion is Judaism, and they were not really focused on preaching. Uh, there was some focus in the early days after their escape from Egypt on uh, martial conquest, but I don't think they've ever been much of a preaching religion. And it seems, if we look uh, strictly at the biblical account, that there was deity worship, there was a temple, there was a holiest of holies, and what happened was after the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians and later on by the Romans, they stopped deity worship because it had been very much connected with the temple. So there was a concept among the Jews that without the temple in Jerusalem, we cannot worship the deity. We can only worship the deity under such and such circumstance. And they switched not to preaching, but they switched to study. Because study was something you could do anywhere without a temple. And they started emphasizing scholarship. Uh, now, the, of course, the Christians were originally a, a Jewish sect. They were not their own separate religion. They became their own separate religion later. And that had nothing to do with deity worship because at that point... Uh, they separated themselves again from the temple, which was their source of deity worship. But we found that the original Christians did indeed do deity worship. The Roman Catholics have icons. The Eastern Orthodox also have icons. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, reverence of their icons is closer to our Vaishnav concept of deity worship than is the Roman Catholics. But it was certainly there. Uh, the repudiation of icons came as part of the Protestant tradition. The Protestants did not want to worship the saints, they didn't want to worship Mary, and they didn't want to have any icons. So none of that has any relationship whatsoever to Vraj Bhakti and Raghunuga Bhakti. 
allusions to higher uh, allusions with an A, sages of bhakti in the Bible are are pretty vague, and I, I, I it's very hard to tell whether or not they had some connection with Raja. I mean, there's something in the Kabbalistic tradition which would suggest some connection to Vrajkishore Krishna, but that's a, a very hidden and mystical part of the tradition. Uh, we have some saints in the Christian tradition, particularly in the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, who seem to have some realization of the higher rasas by some kind of grace. I'm not at all uh, familiar with the Islamic tradition, but of course we know that the Islamic tradition also includes some kind of deity worship. They have some sort of deity in Mecca, which they circumambulate in rituals that are very reminiscent of the, of the Vedic. And we should note that the Islamic tradition is against any kind of depiction of anything. So the strict Islamists would not even have a photograph. Uh, they wouldn't have. They don't even have a painting of a flower. And they don't depict anything in the world, and their idea is not to worship anything in the world. So those are, those traditions have to be looked at within the scope of their own tradition, and it wouldn't be relevant to what I was talking about here. Yes. Somebody else? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Well, why don't we take Narhari first, because he asked first. Oh, I was just going to say, I was going to ask, um, as you were describing the characteristics and quality of, of envy, which unfortunately may sound a little all too familiar, is this ugliness in our own hearts. And, and we, know, we know the process to, to purify that. We know it really isn't us. And, and and we have the process like we're in the shower cleaning mm. but yet that, that takes some time to go away even if we're preaching yes, and, and we're, we're, we're following to the best of our ability but yet it, it's still there and it's so ugly how do we how do we deal with it well as as, as you all know if you regularly hear my classes now we're working on Raghunath Goswami's Manashiksha and he gives a step by step going deeper and deeper and deeper you know, so this should be published soon, and, and I can't really summarize it in just a couple minutes. But he starts with having genuine love for Guru, genuine love for the Hare Krishna mantra, the Gayatri mantra, the uh, Kanista, Majjhima, and Uttam devotees, Vrindavan, Radha Krishna, having some genuine attachment and having some genuine humility, even if it's a small level. Dambahitva, giving up pride. Having the, taking the mood that I don't know everything. At, at least starting with that is the beginning. And then he instructs us to follow in the mood of Lord Chaitanya and particularly of Swaludamadar and Rupa Goswami. Then he says the first thing to do is give up mundane talks. Give up talking about uh, mundane sense gratification and liberation. And this is, of course, uh, very involved with preaching. Talk instead about Krishna. So this is, this is really, when he, when he starts to get into process, he, talk, he talks about that. What we hear and chant about, hear and chant about Krishna, instead of hearing and chanting about mundane things. Then he goes into giving up gross sinful activities, act, uh, wicked deeds that are made into ropes 
and these ropes are like nooses around our neck and we're being dragged by our slave masters of lust, anger, envy, greed, and illusion by these ropes of sinful activities. So this is, then he's talking about, you're talking about Krishna, you're preaching, you're not talking about uh, bhukti and mukti, but you're still doing sinful activities. You haven't given up your sinful activities. And he says the way to do this is you call for the help of the devotees of the killer of Baka. And Baka, Bhakti Nathakur says, represents hypocrisy. So that is hypocrisy. If I'm talking about Krishna, but I'm doing sinful activities, I'm doing things motivated by lust, anger, and greed, and illusion. They don't have to be breaking the four regular principles. They don't have to be on that gross of a level, although, of course, we know sometimes they are on that gross of a level for some people. Uh, But still, things that are really not favorable for Krishna consciousness. And these devotees who have served the master of the killer of deceit, they can destroy this in us. They will cut these ropes of wicked deeds. So what does this mean? I call for their help. This means, again, humility. Just like, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, the first thing you have to do is you have to admit that you're an alcoholic and you have to admit that you can't uh, solve the problem on your own. I think I mentioned this the other day in one of my granddaughters. She said to me, Grandma, uh, you know, can most people solve their problems on their own or do they need help? And I really thought about it and I said, you know, generally we need help. (laughs) So it's that, again, giving up pride. I need help, 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 help. (laughs) You know, oh, devotees of the one who conquered deceit, help me give up my sinful activities. Okay, then we come to the next part. So now a person, they're talking about Krishna and they're not engaged in gross sinful activities. So they're preaching and their, their, their gross activities are in accord. They're not an out-and-out hypocrite. But now they're cheating in another way, and that is that they're doing devotional activities for an ulterior motive, for some motive of pride and honor. You know, they're, they're giving a class so the members of the opposite sex will go, Ooh, what a nice class, my You know? That, that's, their, that's their purpose. Or they're going out preaching to collect money so they can, you know, gold plate their bathroom fixtures. So this is the... They're, they're taking up renunciation to be honored. And and, and, and Raghunath Swami compares this to bathing in the urine of a donkey rather than in the ocean of love of God. So it's interesting, by this point, he says you've gotten the jewel of love of God, the jewel of love of God. A jewel is something external, superficial, something you wear. It's very localized. It's in one place, and you wear it. So the person who's talking about Krishna and who's not doing gross sinful activities, they have a jewel of love of God that they are wearing, and it's localized. And then at this point, he's saying, but if you're still doing, if, if the motive for your devotional ex- activities is still uh, honor or subtle sex or money or envy, then you have to bathe in the ocean of love of God, of Krishna. You have to surround yourself, not just localize. It has to surround you. Of course, Shiva Prabhupada created a society where we would be surrounded at every moment. And Prabhupada talks about this. We should engineer our life in such a way that we cannot help but think of Krishna and so whatever we're doing to surround ourselves with Krishna, and that's not just, oh, well, I can't do that because my externals aren't right. 
But, you know, we can do it, as I say many times, through modern technology. We can be always hearing about Krishna, surrounding ourselves with Krishna. And this starts to change, you know, the, the burning of the donkey urine. And then he says, okay, but now you've done that. So now the service you do is not motivated by profit, adoration, distinction, wealth and prestige. It's not motivated by that anymore. And now you're swimming in an ocean of love of God. Well, by this time, that's pretty advanced. You know, you're, you're wearing this jewel of love of God or holding it perhaps and you're swimming in this ocean. But if you know what? That's all still external, isn't it? You're swimming in an ocean of love of God, still external. And Raghunathas Goswami says, guess what? While you're swimming in this ocean of love of God, there's something going on in your heart. He says there's a party going on in your heart. And in fact, the person at this level thinks, wow, there's a party going on in my heart. I'm swimming in love of God. With this jewel of love of God, and there's a party going on. But what's the party? Raghunathas Goswami says, look in your heart. Who's having a party there, he says. He says it's a promiscuous woman, a woman who goes from one man to another, whether she gets paid for it or not. And she's eating the meat of a dog. That's what's really going on in your heart, he says. He says this meat of a dog is a desire for fame and honor, which of course is the root of envy, because I want to be honored. I don't want anyone else to be honored as much as me. And he says that's like a dog meat. So dog meat, you know, it may look like food, but it's disgusting. You may think it's food, but it ain't very good food. And there's a woman in your heart, okay. You know, the ultimate manifestation of love of God is a woman, but it's the wrong kind of woman. She's an unchaste woman, a wanton woman, a whorish woman. She doesn't have any loyalty. When you want honor, there's no loyalty. Whoever gives you honor, you'll go for it. There's no loyalty because when you want honor, you change yourself to suit whatever will be honored. And therefore, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says the illicit lover of this woman is called deceit. And at this point, what do you want honor for? Being a great devotee. Hey, I'm swimming in the ocean of love of God, wearing the jewel of love of God. Hey, hey, honor me, honor me. I am so pure. I don't even try to attract the opposite sex. I don't even care about wealth. I'm so pure. Honor me, honor me for my purity. <laughs> and everything's being motivated like that. As, as uh, was written, Paul Bunyan wrote in the Pilgrim's Progress that as, as Christian was, is going toward the kingdom of God, one of the persons on the road who stops him says, you're not really a Christian. Everything you do is for vainglory anyway. So that is the bottom level. Everything you do, all, all one's purity is all for vainglory. Then what do you do? Raghunath Das Goswami says, Sadhu Prema, the lady of love, the chaste, Sadhu, lady of love, will not enter the heart as long as this uh, promiscuous dog-eating woman is dancing there. He says, you have to call for the help of the generals of the army of the Lord 
Before you could just call for the help of the devotees. So call for the help means what? Humility. Help me, I can't do it myself. And why the generals? Because those are the people we envy, right? If I want to be honored for being a devotee, which is the very end of the whole business, then I hate those who are being honored for being devotees, don't I? I may not hate the athletes and the movie stars and the politicians and the rich business people anymore. I might not care. Let Donald Trump have his billions of dollars and run around making a fool out of himself. Who cares? You know, let Elizabeth Taylor have seven marriages. Who cares? We don't. We we're not. If, if we may have given up our envy of those people, we may no longer delight in their uh, missteps and their foolishness. But we don't want anybody to be an advanced devotee. Let nobody ever be honored as a devotee. I'm the one who should be honored as a devotee. If we serve those people, Raghunath Das Goswami says, you serve those people, then that desire for honor will be gone. Then that envy will be gone. Find a great devotee, a really great devotee, a general in the Lord's army. By the way, that doesn't have to be a devotee who's recognized by everyone as a great devotee. There's a community that I visit frequently where there was a devotee there who was definitely an Uttama Adhikari devotee. Fully realized their relationship with Krishna, absorbed in the spiritual world, but not known in their own community. Uh, this devotee has left the planet, by the way. Not known in their own community. People in the community saw, oh, here's somebody who, you know, dresses a deity sometimes, helps with the flower garlands, answers the mail for the temple. Not known. Pretty much only spoke the local language, not known outside their community practically at all. And one devotee who lived there said to me, how can I advance? I said, you go serve that devotee. Whatever you can do for that devotee, do that. So find a general in Lord Chaitanya's army. It might, maybe, you know, maybe the general in Lord Chaitanya's army is like Jayananda who is taking out the garbage. It's not, you, don't have, you don't have to find someone who's sitting on the Vyasa sun to find a general in Lord Chaitanya's army. But find a real general and serve them as a humble servant. You know, cleaning their toilet or whatever. And then the envy will be completely gone. Then Sadhu Prema, the chaste lady of love, enters the heart of a devotee. And then, in the next verse, Raghunath Swami says, the devotee cries without any pretense, without any deceit. Oh, Lord, I am wretched. Then the devotee is free from this envy. And then, then Giridhari gives one to the care of Gandharva, gives one to the care of the internal potency personified, who engages that devotee in their eternal service. So that's the system given by Raghunath Das Goswami. Uh, obviously, it's described differently in different places. It starts with what we talk about. You could say it starts with wanting to go to Vraja and loving the Guru and loving the mantra, but really the nitty-gritty purification starts with what do we hear and talk about. So it starts with preaching, and it goes through those steps. So we've gotten quite uh, late. 
Uh, Rodney Rapini, yes, what's your question? This will be the last one. Okay, thank you, Mataji. Um, I always, you talked about preaching, and we all have our different forms of preaching, and I always felt, felt for me, it was cooking. Mm. I love to cook for devotees in Krishna. I like to also sew, so I always felt like that was my service. But mm. lately, uh, the service has been, a different service has been dropped on my lap, mm. literally. I'm not looking for it, but it's been dropped several times, and it's the same thing. And I don't feel qualified to do it, but yet I feel like I've been instructed to do it, I'm supposed to do it. My Shiksha Guru told me to do it, now Krishna is telling me to do it. And I'm like, how can I do this? Because I'm, I don't feel qualified. Well, join the club. How do I... <laughs> Join the club. That's the best kind of service is a service you don't feel qualified to do. So what should you do? Become qualified. So how do you become qualified? So there's uh, internal and external. External, maybe you need to take some classes. Maybe you need to find somebody who's qualified and learn from them. Maybe you need to read some books. Maybe you, know, maybe you need to do something to externally to become qualified. Our, our Juno went to school to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. He, he had a teacher. He, he studied at night. You know, he noticed that he could eat in the dark, that his hands could find his mouth in the dark. And he thought, oh, maybe my arrow can find its target in the dark too. And he got up at night and practiced. Therefore, he was called Gudakesh. So externally become daksha, expert is one of the qualities of the devotee. You know, when, when I was asked, ordered by our GBC at the time, you know, become a, a school teacher, start a school, I went out and took classes. Right, let me take some classes, let me get some training. And then, of course, prayer and dependence. Krishna, please, you know, what do they say? By remembering Lord Chaitanya... Uh, that which is difficult yes. becomes easy, and when we forget Lord Chaitanya, even easy things become difficult. Pray, Gora Shakti, Gora Shakti, Gora Shakti, Gora Shakti. Pray constantly. Pray for the Shakti of Guru, the Shakti of Lord Chaitanya, the Shakti of Lord Nityananda, and then do something. Not that you just, you know, pray, but endeavor to become expert, whatever it may be, depending on what the service is. You know, what exactly is that, is that going to mean? Does it mean you study Sanskrit? Does it mean you study cooking? Does it, you know, I don't know. It depends on the nature of the particular service, but we should all try to learn it. And, you know, Prabhupada told the devotees in the beginning, start a magazine, and they didn't know how to start a magazine. Prabhupada said, Krishna will help you. But you also you know, make some endeavor to, to find out, and Krishna will supply, and, and I think... All of us, I mean, I certainly have this experience, but I think all of us have this experience, that when we sincerely make an endeavor with dependence on Krishna, he generally, gradually gives us the qualification, or he gives us other people to help us who are qualified. So in many of the services that I've done, uh, Krishna sent other people to help in, in the areas of that service in which I was not only not qualified, but not likely to become qualified. You know, it's it's not that the problem says we should know something of everything and everything of something. So he, Krishna will send the the proper people at the proper time. He he always does, and, and they'll help with the different aspects 
And what's nice about being given a service for which we're not qualified at the time that we're given it is that we really see that it's Krishna who's doing it, you know? Yeah. It's very hard with that kind of a service to think that I'm the doer and I'm wonderful and blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. You really just see, wow, this is just this is a gift. <laughs> you know, the service is a gift. The qualification to do the service is a gift. And one does it in a very sweet consciousness. Is that all right? Yes, thank you, Mataji. And I, I'm going to have to come see you then. Hi, <laughs> Krishna. I will bring something I cooked, I promise. Hi, <laughs> Krishna. Has your arm healed now? No, I have four more weeks at home, so I have a lot of time. Four more weeks at home. All right, well, you take care of yourself. Maybe Krishna's given you these weeks to uh, become qualified in whatever it is he wants you to do. Srila Prabhupada Jai. Jai.